Welcome to ALC Pan-African Radio's Education Program. The Education Program is a radio production by African Leadership Center Fellows based at the Center, where they analyze diverse issues on peace and security in Africa. What's giving rise to violence against Africans living in South Africa? And what explains the government's violence response to student protests in the country? Iris Nmalo, a fellow at the African Leadership Center, King's College London, believes that these incidents are at the core of the country's nation-building process. And this can be eliminated by the unseen connections between xenophobic violence and student protests in South Africa. Post-apartheid South Africa, forged after decades of struggle with strong support from the African continent and beyond, created expectations of an inclusive society rooted in non-discrimination, respect for human rights, and equality. The country's legal instruments and foreign policy bolstered this expectation. They gave the impression of strong pan-African leanings, but these now appear to be unraveling. They open their business in our country. Why don't they go to their country? We are in our country. This is not humanitarian. We are not, we worked, we worked so hard for South Africa to be independent. We are now being treated like dogs. The recent wave of attacks in Johannesburg and Pretoria against Africans in South Africa sparked another round of condemnation and discussion about the country's incessant xenophobia. To be more specific, Afrophobic violence. In the 2008 wave, some South Africans were themselves victims of such violence because they were either not proficient in Isuzulu or were dark in complexion. These were considered markers of non-citizenship in a very stratified society. But the authorities have gone to great lengths to emphasize that these attacks were not xenophobic in nature. Rather, they argue, they were down to lawlessness and opportunism, which were contrary to the welcoming nature of South African society. Recent historical evidence, nevertheless, reflects otherwise. Numerous reports from the mid to late 1990s spoke of high levels of xenophobia in South Africa. They also highlighted the complicity of successive governments in perpetuating Afrophobia through their pronouncements and immigration policies that discriminate against visitors from Africa. In the Southern African Migration Project study of 2001, it was found that, and I quote, South Africans of all races display a distinct aversion to Africans from elsewhere on the continent. Asked to choose, South Africans of all races show definite preferences for European and North American immigrants." End quote. Afrophobia in South Africa cannot be separated from the post-apartheid nation-building project, which Professor Michael Neocosmos, director of the Unit for the Humanities at Rhodes University in South Africa, described as being anchored in a state discourse of xenophobia, South African exceptionalism, and a discourse on ingenuity that renders the bulk of South Africa's engagements with the continent as neo-colonial. 
Many have noted that the solution to South Africa's xenophobia rests on educating South Africans about xenophobia, the significant contributions Africans made to dismantling apartheid, and the rights, generally, of migrants. However, as convincingly advocated by Abahlali Basem Jondolo, a movement for land and housing dignity in South Africa, eradicating xenophobia at all levels of society is the right response. This becomes especially pertinent when the state and educational institutions are deeply implicated in the discourse on Afrophobia. This is evident in the excessive violent responses to the hashtag student movements that are demanding accessible, decolonial universities which focus on black and African peoples, their context and knowledge. They want these to be at the heart of the academic project in South Africa. They're sending out um, armed police against peaceful, unarmed students who simply want answers, who simply want to have access to funding to be able to live in the space. Whenever black bodies uh, go outside of the bounds of, um, of colonial policing, that is the kind of response that you're going to get. This is 2015, but we feel like we're in the 1980s right now. The rise of hashtag must fall movements in 2015 and 2016 was a response to the lack of transformation of higher education in South Africa, as expressed in the exclusionary institutional cultures that alienate and disempower students of color, females, gender non-conforming individuals and students from less privileged backgrounds. These movements created diverse but related theories of action, referred to as fallism, that centered black consciousness and radical black feminism at the heart of the project to decolonize higher education institutions in South Africa. The movement reflected a preference for collective forms of leadership that dispersed power, authority and responsibility within the movement. This reflects the fluidity and dynamism of leadership, which the leadership scholar Keith Grint classifies as a process in his book Leadership, a very short introduction. The organization and functioning of these movements also reflected Albert Murphy's sentiments in his 1941 essay for the American Sociological Review, in which he describes leadership as a function of the whole situation that is influenced by individual and collective responses to the situation, communication, and the conditions under which certain individuals or groups surrender their power to define the situation to those who assume power. This working class question that we are seeing being raised here at Rose is a struggle that is a interwoven within the bigger struggle that is happening in the country, the struggle for economic transformation, the struggle for social cohesion, which can't be won until you first won the struggle for economic transformation. And so I think this is a, this is a bigger struggle. It's a, it's a bigger ideological struggle that is not only you know, regional here at Rhodes. It's a bigger struggle that is national and perhaps even a global struggle because this is a struggle against a system, a mode of production that is rendering a lot of people disenfranchised. And this is a global issue. Yeah. 
What is often missed in discussions of Afrophobic violence and student protest in South Africa is the unseen connections between the two that demonstrate the exclusionary nature of the political project that underpins nation building in the country today. Firstly, the government uses violence to control that which disrupts the course of the present nation building project. Society too uses violence in order to challenge its exclusion. Secondly, the government has, in an off-handed manner, labelled student protests and Afrophobic violence as instances of criminality and illegality. It prefers to ignore the more substantive issues relating to Afrophobic violence and the calls for deeper and more fundamental transformation in South Africa. Thirdly, the leadership deficits reflected in the piecemeal and often inappropriate remedial responses undertaken by the political leadership of the country have not helped the situation either. In the case of Afrophobia, the South African and Nigerian governments declared recently that they would establish an early warning system to detect outbreaks of violence. In the case of student protests, President Jacob Zuma established a task team dominated by ministers of security agencies to solve the problem. The last unseen connection speaks to the reality of the colonial matrix of state power and the nation-building process in South Africa that perpetuates inequality and unjust and unresponsive governance, as demonstrated by the leadership and societal dimensions of Afrophobic violence and hashtag Mustfall movements. The prevalence of exclusion and violence in South Africa on the basis of race, class, gender, sexual orientation and nationality is masked by the country's rhetoric on human rights, democracy, neoliberal economics and pan-Africanism. That was Iris Nmalo, a fellow at the African Leadership Center. Thank you for listening to ALC Pan-African Radio Education Program. For feedback on this and other programs, please visit our website at www.alcafricanradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook, ALC Radio, numeral number one.